Good morning, ECC. It is good to see you all. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Psalm 13? Psalm chapter 13. We're going to be going through a series of Psalms, specifically the Psalms of Lament this summer. And kicking us off is Psalm chapter 13. And this Psalm, this Lament, as indeed all Laments, tend to ask us one basic question. What do you do when life collapses around you? What do you do when life bottoms out under you, so to speak? When the ground you feel like you've been standing on opened up and you're now in free fall? What do you do then? Paul Njoroge was a hardworking and loving husband who had three children had a good relationship with his mom-in-law, and he put them on a plane to attend a family function and then come back home. Unfortunately, the ill-fated plane in March of 2019 crashed, killing his wife, his three children, all of whom were under the age of 13, and his mother-in-law. What should a believer in Paul Njoroge's shoes do? What should a Christian who has just had their whole world bottom out, fall apart, collapse under them, what should they do? Scripture gives us an answer that said believer should lament. That a believer in Jesus Christ should lament, and a lament is a prayer. It is a cry to God. A lament is turning to God with honest torment and trusting him through it. That's a simple definition of a lament. To lament is turning to God in honest torment and trusting him through it. And what I hope to leave us with today, what I'm praying the Lord leaves you and I with today, is a deep sense of encouragement that we can lament. Permission, if you will, to lament to God, to bring all our pain, all our hurts, all our torment, trouble, and trials to Him, knowing that we can trust Him with it, in it, and through it. That the believer not only can but should lament in their pain, by turning to God in honest torment and trusting him through it. And I hope we see that here in Psalm chapter 13, that you will see David the psalmist turning to God. You will see the psalmist in torment, but you will also see the psalmist trusting God through it all. Psalm 13 from verse 1. To the choir master, a psalm of David, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes 
Rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word that is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. Oh Lord, would you help me step out of your way? Would you speak to me and speak through me to the end that our lives may be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Forbid it, Lord, that anyone except you should get glory at this time. And Lord, would you teach us how to lament, bringing our pains and petitions to you that we may trust you. And so now, Lord, what we do not know, would you please teach us through your word? What we do not have, please give us through your word. And what we are not, please make us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A lament, or to lament, is to turn to God in honest torment and trust him through it. If you're looking for three mental handles, you'll see that in this text. That we turn to God, we turn that we turn with honest torment, that we bring all of that pain and trial and torment to him, and that lastly, it leads us to trust him in the storms of our lives. So, first off, we turn. Lamenting starts with turning to God in prayer. Psalm 13, verse 1, How long, O Lord? With that little question, David has actually turned his attention to God. Now, we don't know exactly what trial or storm he was facing here. We don't know if it was a physical, existential threat. We don't know what was happening. What we do know, it is a psalm of David. It was given to the choir master, which means it was designed for personal, private, individual lament, and it was designed for corporate, public lament. That this was designed to help individuals cry out to God and to help the people of God, the congregation of God, cry out to God in their pain. We don't know exactly what caused this, what the occasion was to bring it, but what we do know is that David is on the verge of despair. That David is not only in individual distress, this distress is great. And it's interesting that he says, how long, O Lord, he turns to God. He doesn't turn to a false god, to the Baals that other people were worshipping. He doesn't turn within, doesn't look to himself and say, I'll figure this out. He doesn't turn to others or his very many advisors. He first turns to God and in fact he says, how long, O Lord? That's God's covenant name. That's his special name for his special people. When David calls him, O Lord, when you see in scripture, capital L-O-R-D, that's God's actual name that he has given only to his people that they can address him by because that is his covenant name with them. He is their God. They are his people. David turns to his Lord, his covenant God in who he is in deep personal relationship with. His instinctive response to pain is prayer. And that's impressive. Because remember who we are talking about here. That's the king of Israel. He doesn't lack options on what to do when he's in pain. He could become destructive. 
He could launch himself into a world of dissipation and debauchery and immorality. He could do whatever he pleases. He's the king. He could launch himself into despair, feeling like he's overwhelmed, completely sullen. He could even have a kind of perverse satisfaction from feeling sorry for himself and wallowing in it. He could become dictatorial and driven, conquer this new land, build this new project. Maybe that will drown the pain that he's in. Instead, David's response to pain is prayer. It's like a little child on the playing field being bullied. And his instinctive response is to cry out for his dad. Turning to God is the instinctive response of a Christian in pain. It is human to cry, but it is Christian to lament. I mean, think about it. Who taught you how to cry? No one. You came knowing how to cry. In fact, the first sound you made was a heartfelt protest when you left the comfortable and warm security of your mother's womb. Crying is how your life begins. Crying is just a part of what it means to be human. It is human to cry, but ah, to lament, that's something different. To lament is to make a statement of faith in God. To lament is to say, I'm turning to you, my God. It is to turn to God in my torment, in my pain, in your pain. It is to turn to him and trust him with that pain. So, friend, what's your instinctive response to pain? Because there's a couple of bad instinctive responses you and I have, even though they're instinctive. The most easy, go-to, bad response when we're in pain is silent treatment. It is to put our hands behind our backs, look up to heaven, press our lips together, and give God nail by mouth, nail by heart, nail by prayer. It is to silently get angry with him and say, I will not deign myself to speak to you. Yeah, silent treatment is not what God designed us to do when we are in pain. That's a bad instinctive response. Is your instinctive response to become destructive, to engage in destructive behavior, more debauchery, more guilty pleasures, or maybe your instinctive response is to be completely overwhelmed, that life has no meaning, I have no meaning, nothing matters. Or maybe your response is to be driven, to start a new project, to do more work, to accrue more hours in the hope that that will drown out the pain. But friend, you can turn to God today with that pain. Like a child, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you, I can cry out, Oh Lord, my Lord, who I am in covenant with. And if you're in close relationship with someone who is currently in pain, someone who is currently lamenting, lament with them. Turn to God with them. Very often, we are quick to run solutions for them. But the first step is to turn to God with them and pray. Sometimes we don't like how those in pain are honest and raw about their pain. It feels improper, even 
sacrilegious or blasphemous, how raw and honest they are when they turn to God in prayer and we want to kind of shush them. Well, friend, can we firstly just acknowledge that thank God when they are in pain, they pray. That thank God they are not giving God the silent treatment. They are actually turning to Him for help. But secondly, if you and I are disturbed by how raw people in pain are when they express themselves to God, yeah, the problem isn't them. It's us. We are the impatient ones. No, we should lament with them, turn to God with them, pray with them. Because lament is turning to God in honest torment and trusting Him with our pain. By definition, lament is a prayer. It's a cry to God. It is turning to God. But when we do turn to God, what do we turn to Him with? Honest torment. That's our second point. We turn to God, yes, but we turn to Him with honest torment. Lament brings our honest torment and all our raw pain to God, asking Him to intervene. Look at Psalm 13. You'll see this pattern of pain and petition. Pain and petition. Not just in this psalm, but in any lament of the Bible. Here's how the psalmist opens up. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And he starts unloading the emotions he's feeling. Firstly, he feels forgotten. Now, what does that mean? The psalmist knows that God is omniscient. God doesn't forget. So what does the psalmist mean by, God, you have forgotten me? Well, it means there has been a delay or even absence of divine intervention in whatever he's feeling or whatever situation he's facing. There's been this delay that now feels like a denial of God's intervening for him and on his behalf. And whatever he's been going through, it hasn't been a short time. So let's do this. Let's read through the psalm. Every time you see the phrase, how long, just shout it out, okay? Here we go. Psalm 13 verse 1. Oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Will you hide your face from me? Must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Shall my enemy be exalted over me? You see, whatever he's been going through, his misery has been long. It has been unabated. It has been unintervened. It has not been five minutes. He's been going through this for long. And because God has not intervened, he feels forgotten. You see, in Scripture... For God to remember someone does not mean he's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, there's John, I'd forgotten about him. No. For God to remember someone means he's acted on behalf of that person, usually in a painful situation in which only he can intervene. So for example, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah had been praying for her baby and her, her womb wasn't opening. But then scripture says in chapter 1 verse 19 to 20 that they returned home, Elkanah knew his wife, and God remembered Hannah and she conceived and bore a child. For God to remember means he intervened. The psalmist feels forgotten because there is no intervention happening. He not only feels forgotten, he feels abandoned. How long will you hide your face from me? For God to hide his face from someone is for him to abandon that person. It's the opposite of Numbers chapter 6. Remember the priestly blessing? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face 
shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, in other words, his face to you and give you peace. For God to have his face shining upon you means you're, you're having blessings, that you're having good gifts, that he's gracious to you, that you have peace. For God to hide his face from you means you don't have peace, you have pain. You don't have grace, you have grief. You're not blessed, you're bereft. That's David. It's bad enough that he feels forgotten by God. He now feels abandoned by God because his face is not shining upon him. As though the spiritual pain of feeling forgotten and abandoned wasn't enough, he also has psychological anxiety. How long must I take counsel in my soul? Different versions say, how long must I be anxiously concerned within me? And how long must I have sorrow in my heart? That idea of having counsel in his own soul means he's anxious, he's panicking. It's almost as though he looks up, there was no one there. He looks in and all he can do is panic, precisely because there's no one there. He feels like no one's talking to me, no one's helping me. And when he looks inside, he's anxious, he panics, he's freaking out. And he's not just panicking and anxious, he's sad. He says he's carrying around sorrow in his heart all the day. When scripture uses that word heart, that's like the control center of the human being. It is our emotions, our will, our thoughts, our desires, that's our heart. So Proverbs 4.23 will say, guard your heart above all else because it is the wellspring of life. In other words, it's my entire being. What is David saying about his entire being? He's sad. He's depressed. How often is he depressed? All day. All the day. For as long as this thing has been happening. If it wasn't enough that he feels spiritually abandoned, if it wasn't enough that he feels psychologically anxious, sad, depressed, he's actually helpless. Look at verse 2. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? An enemy is one who hates. And in this context, it seems to be one who particularly hates David's faithfulness to the Lord. What's painful about this is whoever this enemy is, is in a position of power over him, has been exalted over him, has assumed superiority over him, and is now gloating over David's misfortune. Look, none of us likes feeling helpless. Men particularly don't like feeling helpless. But when you're the king of Israel and you're helpless, that pain is deep. And David brings all of that as raw as it is and lays it at the Lord's feet. But remember, the pattern isn't just pain. It's pain and petition. In his pain, he also brings a petition. Verse 3, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. That idea of consider means gaze intently. Look at this issue. Be my Elroy, if you will, what Hagar called him. Look at me. Be the God who sees me. Have kind regard toward me. To consider is the opposite of forget. Don't forget me. Consider me. And not only consider me, answer me. The word used there for answer is an appeal for urgent intervention. It's as though David is saying, God, come through, come now, and come now for me. I need you. And he says, all of this makes this petition 
Upon what basis? Upon the basis that he's talking to the Lord, his God. He's saying, because I have a covenantal relationship with you, because I'm not just another creature you made, I am specifically yours, and you're my God. That's the Lord of Exodus. I will be their God, they will be my people. Yeah, God, I am your people. Come through for me. He says, light up my eyes. And that phrase, light up my eyes, means revive me. Revive me spiritually, morally, even physically. Give me hope. Give me life. In 1 Samuel chapter, chapter 14, the Israelites had not been eating. Saul had given an edict for them not to eat. And Jonathan, who hadn't heard the edict, went and got some honey and ate it. And they were like, oh, no, what are you doing? What are you doing? And Jonathan was like, guys, we need to eat. Look at how this honey has lightened up my eyes, has made my eyes bright. In other words, it has revived me. David is saying, Lord, light up my eyes. Give me hope. And what's, what's so endearing about this relationship that David has with God? Not only does he bring his pain, not only does he bring his petitions, he also gives God the motivations for why God should answer. It's just such a natural relationship. A, I need you to do A, B, C, D, or else JFK is going to happen. That's exactly what he does here. Lord, come through for me, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies have prevailed. Lest my foes rejoice. Do you see? He says, God, please answer my prayer. Why? Because I am in despair and on the brink of death. Lest I sleep the sleep of death. Now, we don't know if David was facing some kind of existential threat, like people wanted to kill him, if it was a literal death, we don't know. Or we don't know if maybe he just means, I'm so depressed, I feel like I could die, or I'd rather be dead. Whatever it is, David is saying, Lord, there's a very short step between despair and death for me. Please come through, or I might take that short step. He's not only saying, come through for me because I'm in despair, he's saying, come through for me because I don't want to be defeated. He's just honest about it. It's like, I don't want my foes to say I've prevailed over him. He petitions God and says, the wicked are emboldened by their success. Even if it is short-term success, they are now walking around boldly over me. I don't want that, Lord. Don't let them prevail over me. Don't let your enemies prevail over me. He asks Lord to intervene because he doesn't want to be deposed. That idea of, because I am shaken, doesn't want to be overthrown. Now, does that literally mean like there was a crisis in his kingdom and someone was trying to get rid of him from the throne? Possibly. We don't know. But whatever it means, he doesn't want to be taken away from his place of confident trust, his God-given place with the Lord. He doesn't want a kind of cultic cry to rise from the enemies of God that say, ha, look, that guy and his God, they are a fail. So he says, Lord, act. Act on my behalf. I'm in pain. Act on my behalf. So are you in pain today? Or put differently, what's the war in your heart right now? What's the pain you're carrying all day long? Do you feel forgotten? and abandoned by God. Please don't just gloss over that pain. Please don't do that. You know, us Christians have ways of just dismissing pain. 
When people are in pain, we'll say things like, God is with me. I'll be fine. Tomorrow the sun will rise. It will be okay. No, it won't be okay. It is not okay. I am in pain. That's what scripture tells us to do. The Lord encourages us. The whole point of lament is not to be logical, but to be emotional. These are not logical statements David is making. This is an expression of his heart, of the deepest pains that are existing in his heart. And scripture tells us, sit in that pain. Sit in it. You see, there's no way around pain when it comes to lament. There's no way over or under, only through. What lament does is it drills into our pain and then drills a little deeper into that pain until it gets past it, but it will not gloss over it. And think about it, that's true even with physical injuries. If you broke your leg, when your leg is broken, do you say, it will be well, I'll go to the surgeon, it will be fixed. Is that your instinctive response? No, you cry. You look at your deformed leg and say, this is not how it's supposed to be. The same is true emotionally and spiritually. We cry. Say, this is not how my life is supposed to be. This is not how my relationships are supposed to be. This is not the darkness I should be in. And we sit in that. My friend Mercy Okalet, speaking of this particular lament, but lament in general, says, we, referring to Christians, always want to race through to the end of that psalm where it talks about God's love and steadfastness. We want to rush through. But she says, but those first two verses ring true for many. And God doesn't mind us sitting and parking there for a little bit. What do you do with your pain? What do I do with my pain? I sit there. I look at it. I feel every ounce of it. I bring it to the Lord. We bring it to the Lord. We tell him it hurts. And we petition him to intervene. We don't gloss over it. And if it feels, but this is improper, how can I tell God, I feel forgotten, I feel abandoned, I feel like you're not there for me. Well, friend, remember you serve a Lord who on the cross cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If he could cry it, we can cry it. If he could look into that pain and say, this hurts, knowing the end would be fine, you and I not only can, but should do the same with our pain. Do you feel confused by your pain? Like you vacillate between anger and fear and hurt and anger and gratitude and grief? Well, friend, you're not crazy. You're just hurting. And it is a hurt and a pain that the Lord invites you, nay, commands you, bring it to me. Bring it to me. Grief is a strange thing. But the only one who can understand it and intervene is the Lord. And for those of us who are walking with someone in that kind of pain, please don't gloss over their pain. Please don't tell the mom who just lost her baby, it's okay, you're young, you can have another one. Please don't tell the wife who just lost her husband, 
It's okay, there are many good men. You can marry another. Please, don't tell the son who just lost his father. God is a father to the fatherless. You'll be okay. Please don't tell the sister who was diagnosed with an incurable cancer. God is a healer, whether in this life or the next. Please don't tell the family that lost their patriarch and matriarch and grandmother and grandfather. It is, it is well. Is there a place to say those things? Yes. Are they true? Yes. But goodness me, first we turn to the Lord and we weep with those who weep, like Romans 12, 15 tells us to do. You don't get impatient, don't get short, but we weep. Lament means we follow the psalmist's pattern of pain and petition. That in your pain, in my pain as believers, we just say, Lord, help. <laughs> Internally, I need you to comfort me. Externally, I need you to do something about this situation. Intervene on my behalf. Light up my eyes because I'm not doing so great. If you don't give me hope, I'm not doing so great. I don't know if I can face tomorrow. I need enough strength for today. Will you give me strength for today? We petition him. We say, I'm on the brink. I don't want to be defeated by my enemies. And maybe you're here and you have a spouse who treats you with absolute contempt and feels like an enemy right now. And you have no situation out of that. Maybe it's a husband who is actually in a position of power over you. Yeah, bring that pain and make the petition. Lord, please intervene. Please prevail for me. Don't let them prevail over me. Maybe for you it is a child that goes out of their way to hurt you every opportunity they get and treat you with absolute disrespect. Yeah, bring that pain, mom, dad. Bring that pain and petition. Say, God, help, help me. Maybe it's a parent who is using their authority over you, not to discipline, but to destroy, to tear down. Child, turn to the Lord in that pain and say, help. And for many of us working in the UAE, maybe it's an employer who doesn't like you and seems like the thing that makes them happiest every day is making your life difficult or pushing you out of the organization. Well, friend, bring that pain and petition the Lord. Please intervene for me. You are my Lord. Believer in Jesus Christ, this is what the gospel got you. That your God is literally your God. That everything that happens to you is father filtered. That all things work together for your good. Not a single thing is happening in your life without his permission. And he's not letting it randomly occur on you. He's orchestrating it. The God who works in mysterious ways uses a frowning providence to smile upon you. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can't call him my Lord. Maybe you're a good cultural Christian, so you show up to church, you do churchy things, but you and I both know if you stood before the Lord today, he would say, I actually don't know you. If that's you, let me ask you one sinner to another, 
Where do you take your pain? Where do you take it? All that hurt and torment you're going through, where are you taking that pain? Okay, okay, is a life of more debauchery and more guilty pleasures and more sin, is that helping? Is that, is that actually getting rid of the pain? Okay, is more work doing it for you? Is more work hours or more study, is that doing it? For, is it helping? Is your complete despair where you feel like you don't want to wake up in the morning, is that helping? Friend, you have nowhere to take your pain. But ah, there is a holy God who literally, Scripture says, knit you together in your mother's womb. You're not an accident for him. That same God who made you in love recognizes that you are a sinner and what he should do with you is treat you as your sins deserve and the wages of sin is death. He should never be kind to you, not one day of your life. But that God demonstrates his love for you in this, that while you are still sinning, knowing that you're a sinner, he sent his son to live a perfect life and die that he may bear all of God's wrath against sin. That if you would turn away from your sin, and trust in Jesus Christ, you'd be forgiven and freed. I can't stand here on the authority of Scripture and say, believe in Jesus and all your pain will be gone. That is a lie. What I can tell you is that in your pain, you have God. Or as the Sunday school kids teach us how to sing, with Christ in my life, I can smile at the storm. Would you trust in this God, because that's where lament goes. It's not just turning to God. It's not just turning to God in our torment and bringing our pain and petitions to him. It is ultimately turning to God so that in our pain, we may trust him with our pain, in our pain, throughout our pain, through the storm that is this world. Notice in Psalm 13, verse 5, that little word, but. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. That's where the whole psalm turns a corner. That's the, the, the fulcrum, if you will, of this lament. There's pain, there's trouble, but. That little word is the psalmist saying, even in the pain, even in the no change in these circumstances that I'm currently in, I will trust the Lord. It is an act of his will, saying with his whole being, yes, all of this is true, and yes, I will trust God with all of this, with his whole life. And note the past tense, I have trusted in your steadfast love. There's a past action that he took, which is having present effect. I already trusted you. And right now, that trust is what is holding me. That faith is what is holding me. And faith in what? Faith in God's steadfast love. That phrase, steadfast love, is his covenantal love. That he will never leave, never forsake those who are his. Those who have his name are not just like everyone. They belong to him and he cares for them specially. His faith is in a faithful God. 
You know, the story is told, and I've, uh, some of you might have heard me say this before, the story is told of men who went to war in the Second World War. And um, these men from America were like, okay, it's maybe going to take a year, year and a half tops. And they went to the battlefield, and what was supposed to take a year or a year and a half ended up taking two, three, four. And as these men were in the battlefield before the age of Instagram and email, they are writing letters. Some of them are making it through. Some of them are not making it through. And their wives back home, not all of them, but many of them started leaving them. And this one soldier kept telling the other soldiers, no, my wife is faithful. My wife will not cheat on me. My wife will not leave me. And they all laughed at him. And you're like, you have such great faith. You have such great faith. And he was like, no, I, I know. I know her. I know. They're like, whatever, man. The war ends. They go back home. And as they meet for a meal and drinks, and they ask him, hey, how is your great faith doing? He's like, actually, my wife did not cheat on me. She was faithful to me. She took wonderful care of the kids. And they said again, you have such great faith. You have such great faith. And he stopped him and said, guys, I don't have great faith. I have a great wife. David doesn't have great faith. He has a great God. He has very little faith. Nothing in this text makes you think that David is strong. He just told us how weak he is. But he has trusted in the one who cannot fail. But he has trusted in the one who cannot break his own word. The unlying God. That's who he's trusted in. And because he has trusted in that faithful God, his heart shall rejoice in God's salvation. Remember earlier his heart was in sorrow? Now his heart will rejoice. The circumstances haven't changed. They're exactly the same. So how is he able to rejoice? By choice. He's able to say, you have saved me. You have never before let me down. You cannot let me down. So my heart right now by choice will rejoice. In your deliverance, you are the God who is by definition a deliverer, a savior. I will rejoice in that. That I am not with the other nations, but I belong to you. I will rejoice in that. That I am yours. And the result of that joy is I will sing. We see that and we are like, oh, because he's happy? No, he's probably singing through blinding tears. I will sing to Yahweh because he has dealt bountifully with me. I will sing to the God who has never before let me down. I will sing to the God who even though right now I have no clue what's going on, I know how he deals with his own people. I will sing to him because he is who he is. So will you sing in the storm? Will you sing through blinding tears? But as one song says, I'll praise you in this storm and I will lift my hands for you are who you are no matter where I am. And every tear I've cried, you hold in your hand. You've never left my side. And though my heart is torn, I will praise you in this storm. Believer in Jesus Christ, he will not let you go. You're not holding on to him. He's holding on to you. 
with all of his omnipotent power. And if you find yourself crying, how long, O Lord? It's interesting that in the book of Revelation, that exact question shows up. For those who are unjustly treated, beheaded, killed, and the perpetrators seem to just go off scot-free, and they rightly, painfully ask God, okay, how long? God's response is, just a little while, and I will balance out those books. I will make it right. If not now, in eternity. Afflicted saint, lift your eyes to eternity. Because lament is how we live between Genesis chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 22. Lament is how we live when we look at our painful lives and try and reconcile that with a good God. Lament is how we live in the land of pain. But there's coming a day when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Until then, we lament. Until then, we turn to him in our torment and we trust him because we know his character regardless of the circumstances. So how do we best lament? Number one, we come humble. It is never right to be angry and kind of carry an entitled spirit like, I'm a Christian, I serve God, he ought to do this and that and that. No, the only thing he ought to do with me is vanquish me, vanquish you. No, we come humble. We come with our pain. We don't come with our pride. Come with our pain. Humbly asking him, please intervene. Also, when we petition, pray the Bible. You're struggling with words to say to God, and I totally get that it's hard to pray when you're in pain. You're struggling with words? Well, memorize Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Lighten up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy says I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I have been shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has dealt bountifully with me. Pray that. And next, sing songs of lament. If you don't know what those songs are like, just pick up today's bulletin and carry that home. And sing those songs. And let the church sing to you and sing with you. So friend, I, I don't know why God in his sovereignty has you here today. But my hunch is you're in some kind of pain, past or present. And if you've not yet faced a lot of pain, you will. You live long enough and you will suffer. But the good news is because Christ took the ultimate pain on the cross, you and I can bring that, that pain to the cross. Or as the hymn we just sang says, hold thy cross before my eyes. 
hold thy cross before my failing eyes. Then I will know where to take my pain. Maybe you're crying out like Hannah, a mom who's not been given children. Bring that pain. He knows what to do with that pain. Maybe you had the misfortune of carrying a little coffin by the death of a child. And those little coffins are always the heaviest ones. Bring that pain. Remember you're more vulnerable to the lies of Satan in your pain. So bring that pain to the Lord. Or as the hymn says, So sing with joy Afflicted one, the battle's fierce, but the victory's won. God shall all that you need. Yes, as your days, your strength shall be. Let's pray. Father, many of, those, of us come as those who are in pain. Many of us are not sure, like David, if we are going to make it tomorrow. For us, it is a very short step between despair and death. We feel defeated, we feel abandoned, we feel forgotten. But we have trusted in your steadfast love. You who never leaves nor forsakes. Would you even now hold us fast? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.